This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss, your host. And this week we have a special guest. He has been on the podcast before. It is the professor. Rotowire senior hoops writer, the blogger that runs the Hoops Lab at hoopslab.rotowire.com, Andre Snellings. What's up, Dre? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back in the house. Yeah, it's good to have you on again. Uh, we had a very long, extended podcast uh, about various topics, and we only got about 20 minutes now. But let's uh, make the best of it. Start with the NBA Finals. We talked about this on the XM show, and I know you know you're not Mr. Hot Take, but I suggested maybe the Warriors, this version with Durant, was the best team of all time. What, do you have to crunch some numbers before you can comment on that, or what is it? Can you just give me a, a feel for that? What's your response to that? No, I, I would say they're on that upper tier. Um, you know, it's not so much that I'm I'm not Mr. Hot Take. It's just that um, I don't think that there necessarily is a such thing as the GOAT at something because, I mean, you know, you, you can only – have so much uh, uh, articulation with this. And I think I can say that this Golden State Warriors team is among the stronger champions in history. Um, if you go by the numbers, uh, you talk about crunching, like uh, there's a, a approach called the ELO uh, approach. And I think by that measure, this Golden State team is the best uh, best team in history. But, um, you know, if they had a seven-game series against the 87 Lakers or the 86 Celtics or the 96 Bulls, um, you know, I'm not just fully confident that, that, that they would win all of those series. I think they have a, a, a heck of a, what they're good at is extremely good, you know? Um, but I, I think there, there've been some, some great champions through the years. So I'll, I'll put them up there on a tier where I would love to see them go against anybody. But um, I, I don't think that they just stand alone is by far the GOAT. Yeah, I w- it would be awesome to see the Showtime Lakers against this Golden State team. Like, that would be mm-hmm. sort of the ultimate matchup. Yeah, I mean, especially because I mean, they play at a similar pace. Um, and the Showtime Lakers, one difference is just the era. The three-pointer wasn't as common then as it is now. But if, you, you know, if you had a time machine and you transported that team to the future, I can bet that they would have, uh, you know, Byron Scott. There would be a lot more uh, three-pointers as opposed to long mid-range shots. And you've got... Kareem and Magic just kind of pulling the, the the defense in. You can imagine they'd have some really really good looks from three uh, with that Showtime team. Right, you could go offense versus offense, or you could bring in like that Pistons team that crushed the Shaq Kobe Lakers. 
bring those mm-hmm. guys in? Like, would that be able to slow down this Golden State team? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, obviously I hang out on message boards. There's a, a topic on uh, Real GM's message board on uh, what this Golden State team would look like if they played um, the 08 Celtics plus 08 Kobe. And, um, you know, the pushback in the thread has been you might not even have to add 08 Kobe. You know, the, the 08 Celtics by themselves might have been a really tough matchup for this team because they were built on defense around the type of defender that you don't really have nowadays, a seven-footer that's super mobile, um, and, and then just a really physical team, whereas Golden State likes to be finesse. You know, what would a, a team with talent that could be physical within the rules, how, how would that affect this Golden State team? You know, it's one of those things we won't know. But, um, I mean, I could just imagine, you know, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen uh, trying to keep up from three with, with uh, uh, Kevin Durant and, and Steph Curry. Um, then behind them, they also have uh, one of the best defenses in the league. So, you know, th- there are some really intriguing historical matchups that we can make with this team. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not like they played – a lot of the teams that won played weak opponents. Like some of those Spurs teams with Peak, Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker played weak opponents, so we don't really know. You know, they, they easily won in the finals, and it wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal getting through the playoffs. But those teams – I mean, Peak, Peak Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, well-coached, you know, Bruce Bowen playing defense. I mean, maybe those teams would, would give them a hard time. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and they're they're both kind of playing some similar styles as far as, you know, uh, offensive flow and, and you know, not concentrated superstars. But if you want to just go stylistic mismatch, what does Shaq and Kobe do against this team? You know, like th- this team is built for the 2000 teams with, you know, they, they play small ball and stuff. Like, can you even conceive of small ball against 2000, 2001 Shaq? You know, like what, what what would those teams look like? Now, granted, they might go three for two on some possessions, but those Lakers might be getting too dang near every time down the court. You know, would that be enough? You just don't know. Right. I mean, Draymond Green's a great defender, but peak Shaq is, is asking a little bit much. Yeah, I mean, he's a monster. And then, you know, Kobe, he, at that time he was the sidekick, but even then we knew he was all-time great. So you put the two of them out there and, again, move it, to this time period. So now you put the two of them out there with all shooters, you know, and, and, and it's a, a different dynamic from at the time. But who, I mean, what three, so they had Robert Ory for a time. They had Glenn Rice for a time. You know, they had Rick Fox, all these guys that were role players. They were three and D guys, but now, you know, they, they might be much higher volume three point shooters, shooters around that, that, that great, uh, uh, a duo of scores that just has so much gravity. So, you know, that, that would be an interesting series as well. The, the other fun matchup would be the Peak Suns, who probably would have won a championship, but for Tim Donahue with Nash, mm-hmm. Marion, Amari Stoudemire, like those guys, that, that would actually also be a very fun matchup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a matchup where we, we saw in this past finals, uh, the Cavs broke the record with 49 points in the first quarter. That was the most points in any quarter. But uh, I think if, if that Suns team against this Warriors team you might see that record fall several times. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Uh, the other topic I want, we'll just touch on this briefly because you and I have been over this on the radio. I've even argued it with Dalton. But I think it's a little bit cheap, that win. I think it's cheap for Durant because he's such a great player and proved, I think, in the finals that he is the guy around which you could build. And he and Russell Westbrook had the Warriors down 3-1 last year. So this is a guy that didn't need to join an already championship team. And it is obviously a slippery slope. You know, the Celtics, they had Pierce and Rondo. They bring in Garnett and Ray Allen. But I would argue in that situation, 
People thought maybe Garnett's over the hill. Ray Allen was certainly past his prime. He certainly wasn't peak Ray Allen when he came to the Celtics. And so it was a little bit different. It was like, well, they're getting some guys, but who knows what Garnett has left. And, of course, they did have two seasons of like really elite play left. But I felt like this was over the line. Like, I know it's a slippery slope. You, you obviously have to be able to sign free agents. Durant should be allowed to do it. Golden State should be allowed to do it. They had room under the cap. But I think the deterrent, you know, since there's no rule against it, is for us to condemn it and make it shameful and not give him full credit for the ring because, come on, you know, you're a great player. You should be able to be the one around whom the ring, the title team is built. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So, for one, I do agree with you that what, you know, that Durant going to Golden State or even LeBron going to Miami when he agreed with Wade and Bosch that we were going to team right. up is a little different from what those Celtics, because those Celtics, not only was it that, you know, they were a bit past their prime, but also they were traded for. You know, the, the, their teams decided to put them together. That wasn't something that the players just, you know, said, you know what, let, let's just Voltron up. Um, and you're right that, that nobody looked at that Celtics team and said, oh, juggernaut. I mean, because if you go back and look at all the articles, the prediction articles, most didn't even have them coming out of the East. You know, they were like, yeah, there'll be a playoff team, second rounder, but nothing special. Um, you know, basketball nerds or Kevin Garnett fans <laughs> like me would call friends like you and say, hey, please put some money on the Celtics to win the championship. That's right. Because this is going to be ridiculous. But that was not the majority mindset. So, but yes, there are differences. Um, I agree with you that it's kind of a slippery slope. I also agree with you that mentally, I guess it, it all depends on how do you evaluate players. Some people, the ring is the thing. They say, okay, well, this guy's got a ring. He was the best player on the team. Then, you know, that puts him in this category. But that's not really how I approach things like that. I look at, you know, um, as you know, I look at, you know, impact. I look at and I try to figure out what was their impact um, by looking at this wide variety of stats in addition to watching the games. And so Durant winning that ring didn't vault him up my rankings because, you know, he was still pretty much the same Kevin Durant that he was before. So for me, it, it, it's not like I need to, to really say oh, this is a cheap ring or a not cheap ring because it doesn't really change things for me the way I look at him. Um, I do agree that, that he's going to get a lot more attention in general. I mean, we've seen it. As soon as the game ended, three different Kevin Durant commercials came on that I hadn't seen before. So um, obviously he's getting rewarded for it. And LeBron got rewarded for it. You know, um, he, they both catch a lot of criticism. But at the end of the day, um, they got those rings and, and they're, they're reaping the rewards for it. Um, I, I think that the NBA had hoped to kind of, you know, with the salary caps and everything, to try to have more control over, you know, things like this happening. Um, it was kind of a perfect storm that the television contract came through. So the ceiling came off the salary cap last year just in time for Kevin Durant to be able to to move to a, a already built super team without having to, to take a cut. Plus, they hadn't really paid Steph Curry the way he could have been paid. Um, so, I mean, this was kind of I, I don't think you'll see this often unless players are willing to take big pay cuts. But um, but, yeah, I, I would think that the NBA probably is, is looking at that and, and wanting to right. wear around. I think some of what you're saying just is that it's a little bit weird, and this is for every sport, the way they settle things, right? Like you're saying, for you, it's sort of the body of work of the guy. As best we could measure it through as many advanced metrics as we have, 
and then you have your idea of who Kevin Garnett is or who Kevin Durant is or who a player is, and then you have sort of like, well, he, you know, this guy's really effective, and given the right players, he should win X amount of titles, but, you know, the ball bounce is funny or the referee is on the take because he's bet on the team or whatever. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of explanations for why, you know, guys don't win the expected amount of titles or bad management around LeBron for the first half of his career where they just gave him really nobody. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen, but the thing is we do settle it the way we settle it. Like there are these little tournaments at the end of every year and the NBA is actually as, as boring as it is sometimes sort of the truest uh, representative set way to settle it because there's so many possessions in a game, so there's less flukiness just the way football, one big play, can turn the whole game. Second, there's so many seven-game series to get there. And third, NBA plays truer to sort of, you know, form than the other sports. You know, you, it's it just the best teams usually win in the NBA. And mm. even so, like, we settle it this particular way. You get a ring, then, you know, you're an all-time great. If you don't get a ring like Carl Malone or Charles Barkley, you know, that's a thing. You, know, you, never, you never got a ring. So. Right. You know, I, again, it's kind of arbitrary. In football, we had the Super Bowl. You know, the Patriots were down 28-3. Like, the Falcons should have won the Super Bowl, but they didn't. And that's just, that just settles it. It doesn't matter that Matt Ryan had 9.3 YPA, greatest uh, number of all time for a player with 400 attempts. You know, it's, they lost. They, they, didn't, you know, they didn't just sit on the ball and kick a field goal. Like, it just it is what it is. We settle it the way we settle it. And it's kind of troubling because, you know, these guys are jumping ahead to sort of check that box. And I just feel like, well, I don't, you know, that... Either maybe, you know, we have to settle it some way, right? We can't just settle it on sort of a, a, a metric that's like, well, here's what it should be. Here's your expected win. So that's that's what you get. But at the same time, they're going to game the system to whatever the metric is. They're going to try to get more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. And I guess at the moment, it comes down to there's a lot of different metrics of success, right? So for, for the, the common usage case where players have to take a bit of a pay cut um, to be able to make this happen, then they will be able to check the box that we have a ring. Maybe over the course of their career, they've given up 50 to $100 million to do that. Now, they're still rich, but, you know, there, there was a trade-off. And as you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned like the Carl Malones, Barclays, and Ewings of the world. Yes, they will always have that hold if they never want a ring, but they're also Hall of Famers. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, I don't think it's an all or nothing thing where it's like, well, the way we evaluate players, you know, the way we evaluate Kevin Durant has been cheapened because he won this title. I don't necessarily see it that way, um, but I do think that you you are correct that he's received some rewards for this. And, you know, a part of me was kind of pulling against them specifically for that reason. And it's like, you know, you would hope that he didn't get that reward. That maybe he does this and and, and goes through all of all of uh, the, the, the negative pushback and then still doesn't win like that. That would have been much more uh, of an interesting result. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it, it is what it is. And I do think that a lot of it is um, fan response. You know, how do, how does the, how do the fans um, receive it? And Durant, I mean, there are rap songs about, you know, uh, Kevin Durant and, you know, how people feel about it. Like uh, Kendrick Lamar has this line I love in a song where he's like, yeah, you about to be Russell Westbrook. You know, you enjoy your victory. Let victory bout you. Just go the next time I see you, I might slap the shit out you. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's you know, 
right? There, people were paying attention to this. It's right. not like it's a sneak thing. <laughs> right. But in the end, right, he can like he'll he'll jot down the number of rings he gets and he'll be like, Yeah, I won three rings. And we'll be like, Yeah, but some of them were cheap, but scoreboard is scoreboard at the end. I I, I do think like, you know, you yeah, I, I, I'm glad he's getting some criticism. I, I mean, I just feel like you got to give him a little shame for it. I mean, yeah, he won. He's a great player, whatever. But I, I do think mm-hmm. it's different than, like, slaying the dragon. You know, him and Westbrook were good enough. They almost beat Golden State. Maybe they would have beat Cleveland, you know, had they just held on yeah. for one more game. They may have would have been, like, 50-50, right? I mean, they would have had a good chance. All right, real quick, uh, I want to pivot to politics. I was actually going to ask you about the hot hand because there's research done, but maybe the subsequent podcast will get into that. You and I got into it a little bit in the last podcast. I want to ask you this. Trump has been president for, I don't know, four or five months. Better, worse, or roughly how you expected so far? I know your expectations were low. So, I mean, we're we're starting from a low baseline. Yeah. The, The expectations were really low. And if anything, I would think it may even be worse than I expected. Um, and it's worse for, for a few different reasons. For one, his performance is as bad or worse than I expected. So that's troubling because of how low the expectations were. But the other thing that I hate, and we, we talked about it a little bit last time, though we moved more into racial terms, but I think stepping away from racists in general, it's really hard for me, even knowing that I was not a Trump supporter, it's hard for me to look at what he's done and what the, the state of the country and the state of politics and everything that's going on and imagine how anybody feels like he's doing a good job. But his supporters are still so vocally and enthusiastically his supporters that it kind of makes me, it kind of makes me nervous or worried. Like, you know, like how can, how can people, how can anyone look at what I'm looking at and, and come out of it like, ah, nope, you know, Trump's great, it's the media, they're just making him bad, or Trump's great, and it's just those dang liberals, you know, or, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that, that as a whole, we're in a good place right now, and this presidency kind of typifies it. Yeah, I, I would agree with most of that, like, I, I don't really understand how people think he's doing a good job, I do understand how people think the media is lying and doing a terrible job, because I think it's true, in large part, that they're lying and doing a terrible job, and they're not covering the important stuff. They're covering all this Russia stuff when they should be covering what's he going to do with health care? What's he going to do? You know, what, what are we, why are we funding Saudi Arabia to bomb innocent people in another country? You know, why are we doing all these horrible things that actually really affect people? And they're covering the wrong thing and they're lying and they're making up stuff. And so I see how people react to that. But yeah, I don't really see how people feel he's doing a good job. But the heartening thing, at least from where I stand, is that he's doing such a bad job that he's ineffective. Right. Like he's, his, mm-hmm. his uh, Muslim ban has been slapped down like three times now by the courts and mm-hmm. he's left all these offices vacant, like a lot of the State Department positions and a lot of the you know, positions of government are just unoccupied. They just haven't even bothered to get people through because, frankly, I think he's kind of lazy and doesn't really care about governing that much. He just kind of wants he's kind of a megalomaniac. So that's good. Right. Like we don't want somebody who's really effective and evil. At the same time, we'd rather have an ineffective person <laughs> who's kind of narcissistic, you know, who, who's not doing a good job. I mean, don't, isn't it good that he's not doing a good job? I guess is my question for you. See, you know, I, I can I can see that that logic. And, you know, the, the problem is I don't even want to say the problem. There's, there's two big problems. For one, the like the country is beholden to him. So 
if he does too bad of a job, it affects everyone. You know, like the president is not a position that I can actively pull for to fail, you know, because he's, you know, it's too important a job. So there's that aspect of it. Then the other aspect is because it's not over, you just never know. Like if if you look at his campaign as a, a microcosm, right? He had terrible stuff happening left and right. It was, I've never seen in politics, Howard Dean said, yeah, and his career was over. You know, Trump did 37 things that should have been in his career. And then at the end of the day, he won. And so, you know, I fear that we'll have a president who's terrible and ineffective, and he's going to continue to be that. But if he messes around and gets one or two important victories that don't even necessarily depend on him, it just might happen to go through, then he can claim victory. His supporters can claim victory. And then we've just have ineffective for no reason without the benefit. Right. I, I agree with that. And he will get something through that's bad. There's no doubt. He's not going to just fail at every single initiative. Like he's going to get either the health care or something's going to go through. I, I wonder, like the Democrats must be thinking like, man, how do we lose to this person? Like how incompetent was our campaign? Like how... What a mistake we made running the person that we ran and how incompetent with all the money and support that she had. How, you know, how can we get away from that, that group of people that were running things and start again to have like an so effective you, resistance? You would hope so, or you would hope that, that something positive comes out of it from, from that side of things. But as we're seeing now that Republicans are running every aspect of government, that these parties aren't monolithic, you know, and I know that, that you know, um, you, you've been public that you feel like kind of the person that they chose to run was one of the biggest problems. Um, honestly, I don't agree. You know what I'm saying? I look at the person that they chose to run and, you know, whatever, love her or hate her, whatever. She still, she still should have won. You know what I'm saying? And she should, you know, like I end up, um, I, I analogize it to something that you just mentioned earlier, how the Suns should have won a championship but a lot of things outside of their control ended up costing them that championship, you know? And there are people that are like, well, it doesn't matter. Scoreboard, the Spurs won the title. Right. Then there are other people that are like, but man, the Suns should have won. And in this case, I kind of find myself like that. It's like, man, she won by 3 million in the popular vote anyway. Um, you know, this Russia thing had some effect. You know what I'm saying? The, the Comey announcements had some effect. You know, right. th- there were the, the, the WikiLeaks had some effect. And so when you add all of those together, it's like, wow, that's got to be the hardest didn't win ever. And so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting on a tangent. But the point to your point is that there are a lot of people I would have to think of the Democratic Party to feel the same way. So I don't know that people are looking at this like, oh, wow, we ran an incompetent candidate and we've got to improve right. in this particular way. But there's a lot of folks that are just like, no, maybe we just need to do the same thing. Yeah, and that's scary to me because she wasn't just incompetent. I felt like she was evil. You know, like she did not do things for people, and she she never really spoke to the concerns of people. And you're right. I think she still would have won but for those couple percent things that swayed it. But it should never have been in that situation, right? Like she should have mm. won by 20. I mean, th- you yeah. pointed out all the gaffes he made and just what an incompetent idiot he is. And she had all the newspaper editorials, even in red states. She had all the money. She had twice the money that he had for the campaign. And she blew it, you know, and, and yes, without those little things, maybe she would have won anyway, but man, you got, you know, and so I, it worries me a lot that, um, that people are still holding on. Well, she could have won and yeah, it's true, but you know, 
you, you, we just have to do better. We just have to get people who actually people relate to. And anyway, all right, we're out of time. I know you probably have more to say and don't necessarily agree with everything <laughs> I'm saying, but uh, I've got to run to do the XM show. But good stuff, Trey. I'm glad you came on again. And, I'm glad to be here. And we'll do it again. Uh, when you know, we'll, we'll we'll find some more time and uh, don't get don't get busted at work. You know, get back uh, before they find out you're podcasting. Yeah, no, this is my lunch break, so okay. I'll, I'll oh. just be hungry for okay. you guys. Yeah. All right, we're starving for the cause. All right, well, Dre, appreciate it, man, and uh, I will talk to you soon. All right, we'll talk to you next time. That is Andre Stellings. It's the East Coast Offense Podcast. You can check out his work at hoopslab.rotowire.com.